can be found on the inside of our bulletin. And this is 1 John 5, 1-5. 1 John 5, 1-5. Hear the word of the Lord. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The Word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you've been following the uh, standoff in government. Uh, this is what we call an all-in situation. Anyone ever played Texas Hold'em? we got an all-in situation, a standoff between the two parties concerning the uh, running of the government and the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And basically, uh, some people in the, in the uh, GOP side have said, we're not going to let this thing pass. We're going to do whatever we have to to make sure it's not going to pass. And with a Republican-controlled House, they're wielding their power. But the democratically controlled uh, Senate and President Obama says, look, whatever you send me from a funding perspective, if it doesn't have Obamacare in it, I'm not going to let it go. And so there's this battle as a government shutdown uh, comes closer and closer. People have put their careers on the line. I mean, it's all in. At the end of the day, somebody's going to experience the thrill of victory, and somebody's going to experience the agony of defeat. I really hope it's not me. <laughs> you know, I love the, uh, this whole concept. I don't know if you remember Wide World of Sports, kind of back in the day where they would show you sports from around the world, and they'd have this great intro where they talk about the thrill of victory. You know, and they would show some runner crossing the line, and then they would say the agony of defeat. And they'd show a ski jumper just losing it at the bottom of, you know, of the ramp and just flowing all over the place. You know, we understand victory and we understand defeat in the world of sports. We understand it in career, don't we? Really, really uh, acutely these days, right? We've gone from the thrill of victory to the thrill of survival as opposed to the agony of defeat. We also understand it in our life. The thrill of victory in life, we've experienced it. But we've also experienced the agony of defeat. Maybe for some of us, this concept of defeat is acute and current. We feel the defeat of the world that seems to constantly put pressure on us, bear down on us, fight against us in this eternal tug of war which we struggle to win but never quite get that handkerchief over the line. There's a pressure that from time to time can lead us to despair where we don't ever think we're going to cross the line. It's a pressure that is trying to change us into something that we're not. It's squeezing us into its mold, this mold of the world, <coughs> moving us and changing us into someone that I don't want to be. I know I experience it all the time, the pressures of the world. But the scripture and passage is talking about victory, not defeat. And not victory in sports alone, or even relationships, but victory over the world. Christ is talking about a victory in which we can stand above the world. Not to be imprisoned by it, but to be set free. Much like that plane going through the clouds to be above it, to see the beauty above and not the storms below. Who here doesn't long 
for victory. Victory over the world, a victorious life lived in all aspects of our relationship. The question is, how do we do it? How do we live this victorious life? And the answer is simple. Faith. Belief. Believing in the one who is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Indeed, who is it that overcomes the world? The victory that has overcome the world is our faith. See, there's one who has already conquered. One who has emerged victorious. His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus promises to give us his victory. How? Through faith. You see, to overcome the world, we must learn to put our faith in the one who already has. Left to ourselves, we will know defeat. But in the power of Jesus Christ, we too can overcome the world. And so the Apostle John in this passage talks about what faith gives us. Dissects faith and how faith overcomes the world. There are three things that this faith does for us in this passage. Number one, faith gives us a new birth. Makes us a new person, a new creator. Number two, faith gives us a new obedience. Not only a new identity, but a new way to live. Different from that of the world. And then finally, faith gives us a new destiny. A new direction, a new place to go, a new finish line that we can actually cross, not the finish line of the world. Because to overcome the world, we must put our faith not in ourselves, but in the one who already has. Well, let's break these things up. I've got about three hours, one for each point, so let's take the first one. Faith gives us a new birth. In verse 1 in John 5, it says, 1 John 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This word believe, pistuo in the Greek, is the same word for faith. Everyone who has faith in Jesus is the Christ. But what is faith anyways? Hear the word all the time. No, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep on going. Hebrews 11, uh, uh, 6 has the best definition of faith that I know. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. What an interesting concept. How can you be sure of something that you hope for? Because hope realizes not hope at all. And yet there's a confidence that something will come, something will emerge. The thing that my heart most desires will come to be. It's being certain of it. Hope is being sure of it and certain of what we do not see. How can we be certain of what we do not see? The answer is faith. It has to be a gift from God. Now, some people say that's a pipe dream. You know, I mean, it's nobody. I don't have faith. I can only believe in things that I can see. Well, that's utterly untrue, isn't it? I've never been to Paris. I've never seen the Eiffel Tower. So, how do I know it exists? Other people tell me, but they could be lying. <laughs> you ever think about conspiracy theory? The moon? Come on, people. Never been to the moon, right? See, we have faith all the time. I have faith that this thing is not going to fall on my head and crush me. That some engineer from Hoboken, New Jersey, designed this thing right. I have faith that I'm going to walk in, I'm going to get in my car, and I'm going to drive, and the guy who's on the other side of the median is not going to swerve and crush me. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There are plenty of preachers that have been crushed by acoustic tiles over their head, right? <laughs> So sometimes you put your faith in the wrong things. So this scripture says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Notice 
notice it says everyone, telling us that anyone who believes can be born of God. This isn't a question of pedigree. It's not a question of intelligence. It's a question of exercise. Faith is everyone who believes. And in the Greek, it's actually believing. It's a participle. Everyone who continues to believe. It's not just something you did as a child. It's not just something you did as yesterday. It's something that you do now. That you are believing that Jesus is the Christ. Notice that key word, that. We believe and have faith in something. That Jesus is the Christ. Okay, that Jesus, first of all, exists. If you don't believe that Jesus exists, you can't have faith in Him. There are a lot of theologians, indeed preachers, that preach this guy, Jesus didn't really exist, but we can have faith in what He talked about. That is insanity, my friends. Okay, that is incredibly illogical. You must believe that He exists, as Hebrews says, and rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Indeed, if you look at ancient history, there are multiple, multiple accounts of non-Christian sources that talk to the existence of this Jesus. Suetonius, Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, Josephus, Lucian, even the Koran spoke of the existence of Jesus. We have 24,000 manuscripts speaking about who this person Jesus was. Jesus, you must believe that he exists and also that he is the Christ. Not that he was the Christ, but that he is the Christ. What is this word Christ? We need to unpack it. What you're really saying is, who believes that Jesus is the Savior. Remember in the, uh, in the shepherd fields, the shepherds tending their flocks by night? And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around in them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. See, you must believe that Jesus is the Savior, and therefore, I need saving. I mean, who needs a Savior if you don't need saving? Is the ice machine even more interesting than my preaching? Yes! Yes! This is a tough crowd. I'm bringing my A-game. You guys are the ice machine. Okay. Relax, relax. Okay? To believe that Jesus is Christ means I need to be saved. If you don't believe that you need a Savior, you can't exercise faith. I need saving from what? From my sins. Remember the angel then speaks to Mary, uh, speaks to uh, Joseph, I'm sorry. Don't be afraid to take Mary home because she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, which literally means save, the one who saves, because he will save people from their sins. To believe that Jesus is a savior, you have to believe that you need one. The scriptures say in James 4.17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, sins. See, if we have an innate understanding that we're not all that, then we don't measure up to God's commands to love Him and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to honor the Lord and to honor our parents and all the things that God calls us to do, we need a Savior. He who believes that Jesus is the Christ but you have to believe that Jesus is not only Christ, who is Savior, but who is Lord. See, this Christ is the King. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He comes not only as the Lamb, but as the Lion. He comes not only to save me, but He comes to rule me. 
If you read any epistle that Paul writes, it always starts out with this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Caesar was called the Soterios. Caesar is king. Because he saves us and he rules over us. And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, Savior and Lord, you have been born of God. Notice it says, has been born of God. Something that has happened in the past has changed the present. See, whatever has happened in the past, to be born of God is actually what gives us the ability to see the truth. Born of God, it's in the perfect tense, it's something that's occurred. See, the reason we're able to acknowledge Jesus' identity is because we have received a new one first. The reason we can acknowledge Him is because we have been born of God. It's a gift. Remember how a change occurred in Zacchaeus' life? And that little guy, whenever I think of Zacchaeus, I think of Danny DeVito. You know? Ah, let me see him. You know? If you remember Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. He's even the chief tax collector. Okay? He was a short, probably fat, chief tax collector. He was, he was rich and everybody hated him. He was a traitor to his people. He had an identity. But it wasn't enough, was it? Something in his heart drew him out to the street that day. And wanting to see Jesus, he went ahead and climbed a tree. And lo and behold, Jesus walks under this tree and looks up, never having met this guy. Somehow he knows his name. Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. The people muttered, he's gone to be in the house of a sinner. See, the people had Zacchaeus' identity all wrapped up, didn't they? This is who he is. Jesus, you're missing it. You're missing the point. But Jesus knew his identity because he came to give him a new one. And what does Zacchaeus do? He comes down and he says, look, Lord, today I do, and he's all the things he does. He acknowledges him as Lord. Why? Because God has changed his identity. Jesus said, truly salvation has come to this house because this son, is, this too is a son of Abraham, a son of faith. See, we can acknowledge Christ's identity because he has given us a new one. The world is constantly trying to squeeze you into a mold, the person that you are supposed to be. They did it with Zacchaeus, and they did it with Jesus, didn't they? Think about all the people that squeezed Jesus, his identity. The kids who played, who saw him as the illegitimate son. The priests who squeezed him into this, uh, this act, this person of Satan who went around. He wasn't the son of God. The Romans who saw him as a traitor, as a danger. The people that saw him as a king, he was to be their king. Satan who saw him as a pawn to be destroyed. But as much as they squeezed Jesus' identity, he never changed it because he knew who he was. And because he knew who he was, he can mold us into who we were meant to be. I don't know if you know the name Raoul Wallenberg. Many people know the name of uh, Oscar Schindler and have seen the movie. Well, Wallenberg was like that, but in a different vein. He was actually a Swedish guy. Sweden was a neutral territory during the war. And uh, uh, Hitler had ordered the extermination of the Jews, and millions of Jews had already been killed. 
The last enclave where they had escaped to the Jews was in Hungary because the government had tolerated the Jews. But they had a meeting in 1944, and Adolf Eichmann was the one appointed to carry out the greatest and quickest genocide in history, a million Jews in Hungary. And so began the systemic uh, extermination. In six months alone, 440,000 Jews sent to Auschwitz. Along comes Wallenberg, Swedish. They made him a diplomat. He didn't know anything about diplomacy. But the Americans and everyone else said, we've got to do something. We've got to send some people in there. And so Sweden was a neutral country. And so this guy, Wallenberg, comes in. And Wallenberg starts to do things that no one has ever done before. First thing is, he starts creating these things called Schutzpasses, safety passes. See, he knew the Germans were big, big fools for all of the official documents, you know? So he's, he gets permission from the Hungary government to give these protection passes to Swedish people, a thousand of them. He prints 20,000. Do they have any authority? No. Why do they have authority? Because Raoul Wallenberg says so. And Wallenberg would literally, there's a group of people being marched to Auschwitz. Wallenberg would stand in front of the SS with no gun and say, stop, my people are here. Who has a shoots pass? And he would already have sent his people throughout the crowd, and the crowd may be handing shoots passes to all these people who would be waiting, saying, I have a shoots pass. And Wallenberg would literally say, you cannot take these people. They are under the protection of Sweden. 20,000 people saved with shoots passes alone. He created these 31 safe houses that were supposed to handle about 4,000 people. He was able to fit 15,000 people. He basically said, that's Swedish territory, that, 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 and he can't do it. Had dinner, invited Eichmann over to his home to talk to him. Indeed, at one time, at the very end of the war, they, all the Jews were in one central place. Eichmann was going to go in and mow them down, 70,000. And Wallenberg stands in front of this guy and says, look, if you do that, I'm going to make sure that you know, that they know what you have done. And the war crimes will be even, even stronger. And Eichmann listened. 70,000 people saved. By this nobody guy. In the end, Wallenberg, when the Soviets came, went to negotiate with the saviors, the Soviets, uh, and uh, never turned up again. He went to negotiate the protection of these Jewish people, never turned up again. Wallenberg, he has a tree, uh, the righteous on the walk of righteousness in Israel. See, Wallenberg, what he was able to do was he was able to give these people a new identity. To take off the yellow star. To give them a new identity, a new protection, a new person to be. See, the Jews wanted to squeeze these people. They were untouchables. They were fit for extermination. But Wallenberg said, no, they're, they're worthy of life. And I'm going to give them the authority, a new identity. How? sheer moxie, bluffy, trickery, bribery. But God has the ability to give us a new identity because He is the one that sets identities. See, the reason we can overcome the world is because we do not have to be squeezed into the identity that God wants us to be. See, the world has a vision of who you should be, but God has a vision of who you will be. So what's the identity that the world gives you? If you're a young woman, high school, college maybe, 
20s, early 30s. But you don't have the look, you know? The one on the magazine, those Photoshop gals. You don't have the clothes. You don't have the attitude. You don't have the willingness to go as far as some others are. And so the world has put you in a box. And if you're not careful, you've listened. And you've labeled yourself. This is who I am. This is what I have to accept. But you see, we have a choice. Either to live in the identity of the world, but to live or to live in the identity of the one who made us. Who gives us life, who enables us to overcome the world. As a woman, as a man, as a career person, as a child, you can push back. This is who I am. Not who you say I am. But when God, who has taken me and given me a new identity, when my boss tells me, this is who you are. When my friends tell me, this is who you are. When my income, and I look at my car, and I look at everything, and the world is putting me in a box, I can say, no, 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 no. We have overcome the world because we don't belong to it anymore. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Because faith gives us a new birth. But faith not only gives us a new birth, our two, faith gives us a new obedience. See, if the world has a vision of who I should be, the world also has a vision of how I should live. Notice, and everyone who loves the Father, this is verse 1 and 2, Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments. Back to Danny DeVito, Zacchaeus. Look, Lord. Okay, right off the spot. I mean, I'm going to stay at your house. Everybody's muttering, look, Lord. If I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to give them their money back. In fact, if I've cheated anyone, four times I'm going to, I'm going to get it. I'm going to make things right. I'm going to make things more than right. See, the identity that he had helped him to see who he was, but helped him to start living a different life. The right life. The right life, faith changes how we live and how we love. Remember growing up in Dallas, Texas, uh, back in the day, the Cowboys, America's team, remember? Hole in the stadium so God could watch the Cowboys. Why did I love the Cowboys? Because my dad loved the Cowboys. And from a very young age, a drip IV was inserted into me as Cowboy lore was put into my blood. See, it's natural that the one that my father loves, I would love. And so it is with Zacchaeus. And it's clear that love and obedience are tied together. You want to know what obedience is? All obedience is, is love in action. It's love in motion. It's love that has begun to do its work. It's love that has spread out its tendrils out into the world. Love. So we can have a new obedience because we have a new love. First, with God. Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Notice love and obedience. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, to obey his commandments. If you love me, Jesus says in John 14, 15, you will obey what I command. And in Joshua 22, 5, but be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all of your heart. See, God, who's put this love in our hearts, gives us the ability through faith to change the way that we live. 
to change the way that we love by living just like Zacchaeus, living in a way contradictory to the world. Not only with God, but with people. Romans 13, 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. And indeed, Jesus says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. See, to love is to be obedient. It's a new way to live that's flowing through our life. Think of how many commandments are tied to how we deal with one another, right? Do not lie. Do not cheat. Do not steal. Honor your father and your mother. A new way of living that is contrary to the world. See, it says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Do you know what commands are burdensome, by the way? It's the commands of the world. It's the system that the world makes us live under. There is a system, you know. What is the world? What's he talking about with the world? He's talking about the system of how we live, the message of how we should live. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he hasn't done, comes not from the Father, but from the world. See, it, it crushes us. It says, look, you have to live by the desires of your flesh. We call it the lust to enjoy. So I've got to get that new TV. I've got to get that new dress. I've got to continue to try to acquire to enjoy everything. Also, the lust of his eyes. I've got to have that. 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 I've got to have her. I've got to have him. I've got to have that one. Because the world puts us in the system. This is the way that you live. The boasting of what he has and does. We have a desire to proclaim. I've got to have the right title. The right degree. The right zip code and address. The world seeks to crush us. But Jesus says that His commands, the way He causes us to live, is not burdensome. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, the world... <coughs> squeezes me into it, its identity, and it says, you have to live this way. And if we try to deviate, the pressure pulls us back in. Ever experienced peer pressure? Their pressure is putting down on you all over the place. Pressures you don't even experience or feel, feel right now. That are putting pressure on you, conforming to the patterns of this world. I don't know if you have heard of this guy, James Cameron. The guy who created Avatar and all these different movies. Well, he's also a, a big explorer, National Geographic Explorer. And Cameron had this idea that he wanted to go to the lowest place on the ocean, 35,000 feet. It's like we know more about space than about the bottom of the ocean. Go figure. I didn't know that. Okay, the problem is, to get down there, the pressure is unbelievable. Eight tons for every square inch. So imagine laying down and every square inch of your body 
has 16,000 pounds on it. Okay, everything that we had built, it crushed it like a tin can. But Cameron, through the help of these engineers, was able to create a unique structure, a unique metal, using foam and a shape in a sphere to protect him from his eight tons of pressure. And so Cameron, dropping in this submarine, it actually was shaped vertically, not horizontally, was able to go all the way down and to see a world that no one had seen before. To go to a place where no one could go. See, the world has a vision of how you and I should live. But we can overcome the world because we don't have to follow its rules. See, in the world, we have to love those who love us, but to hate those who hate us. Not in God's law. God, through faith, gives us the ability to love those who despise us. We're supposed to love the people who like us, who are like us, and stay away from those who are not. So if they're poor, <clears throat> maybe if they're black, Hispanic, they're not my race, they're not my color, they're not my socioeconomic class, I live on this side of the train tracks, they live on that side. And never the two shall meet. Pressure. Through faith, we're able to go where we are not able to go before. When somebody hurts you, you're going to hurt them back. In marriage, you know, they swing at you with a, a fist, you swing at them with a bat. And it goes on and on and ratchets and ratchets. That is the way of the world. But God gives us the ability to forgive, to love, to say, I'm sorry. The new way of your faith gives us the ability to give our life away, to serve rather than rule. It gives us a new way of living. So are you? Are you experiencing the victory of living by a new way? The only way you can is by faith, my friends. You know, if I jumped in that pool and tried to swim to the bottom of the ocean, I wouldn't make it 60 feet. Okay? We need someone who can give us faith and strength. Which brings me to my final hour. That faith gives us a new destiny. If faith wants to squeeze who I am and how I live, it wants to squeeze and conform me to where I'm going. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The world has a vision of where I should go. Ever try to fly? Anyone ever try to fly? I, I did. I was eight years old. Okay? Now, why can't you fly? It makes perfect sense. So I went out in my backyard, climbed up this ginormous tree, probably eight feet off the ground. But when you're eight, everything looks massive and high. And I thought to myself, if I leap and start flapping my wings, why not? Right? And so I jumped, and I fell, and I fell hard. I can't remember if I broke my arm or not. I'm going to have to ask my mom. Mom, who listens to all my sermons, will tell me. But I do remember the pain. And I do remember never trying to fly again. You know, wasn't it Tom Petty? I'm learning to fly, but I ain't got wings. Going up the hardest thing. See, we want to fly, but the world says with its value system, I own you. You're never going to escape me. Sooner or later, death will come, and I will bring you down to the ground. Satan's voice, you can't change. I know what you did, but 
faith gives us a new destiny. For Jesus Christ has come not only to change us, but to defeat the world, to defeat Satan. It is in Him and only Him that we can have victory. Because Satan and the world who tried to crush Jesus to bring Him to the ground, indeed even under the ground, could not hold Him. The death and the grave could not hold Him. Because He is the one who has overcome. And Jesus says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Little children, John says, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What is our victory? Where, O death, is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Christ Jesus. What is the victory through which we overcome the world? It's our faith. It's our belief in another, not in ourselves. It's a day-by-day -day faith. You know, why doesn't God, through His victory, just take away all the troubles and issues in our life? Wouldn't that be easier, you know? <clears throat> Clear the slate, you're victorious. We can be victorious too. I think this is why. Jesus wants to teach us how to fly in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. See, we're learning to fly, and now we got wings. The one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. The only way we learn to fly is when we head out of the nest into the world. So the life, the victorious life of Jesus Christ is a day-by-day day walk, step-by-step, step, trusting in the new identity that He's given me, trusting in the new way to live, and trusting in a new destiny that I will not fall, I will not fail, but I will emerge victorious. Every day is a test. Every day is a trust. But God called us for victory, my friends. And victory we will have in the next life. And by God's grace, if we live by faith, we can have victory in this life too. To overcome the world, you must put your faith in the one who already has. Not yourself. Not the world. But in the victorious, resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, even when I couldn't fly and fell to the earth and came to the earth, that you might ascend to heaven and bring those that you have come to raise. Jesus, where is our victory? It's in you. You have come to give us victory. Victory over death. Victory over sin. Victory over Satan. Lord, help us to taste this victory now in this world. As we walk by faith, step by step, trusting in you, overcoming the pressures of the world, give us grace, give us one another, give us your word, give us your church, give us yourself. We love you, we pray in Christ's name.